On the fast track to startup success, a car speeding through a crosswalk jeopardized everything she'd built in a split second. In a constant battle with life-altering trauma, PTSD, a traumatic brain injury, and the cutthroat fashion industry, Just Bones Boardware founder Jennifer Burke Wiseman had to do more than reinvent the board short. She had to reinvent herself. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Jennifer Burke Wiseman is the owner of Just Bones Boardwear, a swim apparel company featuring her patented adjustable waist design. A standout in the swimwear industry, Just Bones Boardwear's technology won Jennifer two patents and Taste TV's Best Swimwear of 2016 award for special function functionality. Just Bones Boardwear has been featured in Elle, InStyle, Vogue, and Fashion Week Online, as well as many other major press sites. Jennifer's board shorts were worn throughout Ghost Shark, which was an original sci-fi movie which premiered in 2013 during Shark Week. Wow! Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carol. I had no idea until I read your bio that this was something that was out there. <laughs> <laughs> so I, Thank I guess you so, much. <laughs> so I'm really interested, of course, as I know my audience will be, and not just hearing about your business and, of course, your book, but also about your life. So let us start with a couple of the backstories, which, first of all, tell us about your career and your life before the accident. Absolutely. So I used to go shopping every year for my boys who were young at the time. And I just would get so frustrated because every year I just couldn't find really good fitting swimwear. They were very lanky, my boys, which a lot of kids are at that age. Um, they shoot up really fast and they're lanky and they don't fill out that quick and they didn't fit in traditional board shorts or those swim volley shorts. And I just 
felt that there was a void in the marketplace at that time. And so basically anything that fit them in the legs or in the hips was always too big in the waist and things that fit them in the waist was it's just big everywhere else. So I just couldn't fit something that fit them great because they didn't fit into those traditional board shorts or those volley shorts. And I figured that there had to be a better way to make swimwear for boys who needed something that had an adjustable waist and so that it would then fit them everywhere else and not something that was a one size fit all product, especially for that age group. And with my background, having gone to the Fashion Institute of Technology, I studied textile design, but I also had some fashion classes. I just kept mulling this over in my head and started designing something that I thought would be a better product for this industry. And then my husband encouraged me and um from there, it just, it just blossomed and I launched my business. As I started thinking about the idea in 2010 and I actually launched the product in 2011. So <laughs> is, is it strictly low board shorts, I suppose, would be essentially for teenage boys, correct? Or do you have something, uh, other products that are similar uh, for other age groups or um, for girls? So we started off as a boys butcher business. And then within a couple of years, due to a really huge demand at trade shows and selling to buyers who kept asking us, we did launch um, board shorts for girls and for toddlers and also for men. And actually now the men's board shorts are half of our business. Oh my word. Yeah. I mean, who knew, like when I launched it, that that was going to be what happened. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, it's very (laughs) exciting. And um, the the trajectory of the business has been great. So it's it's been a really exciting journey. So now we're going to talk about what happened that fateful day. Would you share that story with us, please? Yeah, so um, I had been doing trade shows uh, very quickly after I launched my business, fortunately, and I had just finished doing Surf Expo, which is a huge um, trade show in the industry, as you can imagine, for board shorts. Mm -hmm. And I had just gotten back um, the weekend prior and was now following up on all of my leads and the accounts that I knew. And now we were getting ready for this huge family event. And I had taken the boys with my husband to try on their first uh, big boy suits, as you know, (laughs) at this uh, men's and boys apparel store that was close to our house. And they were really excited about it. So they tried them on again because they needed some slight alterations. And after that was completed, I had to just go run some errands in town, which was another maybe eight to 10 minutes away. And at this time it's, it's midday. And my husband said he was going to take the kids for lunch because it's a Saturday. And I said, that's fine. You know, I'll meet you afterwards. 
So we all decided to take our own cars and meet afterwards. So I drove into town, which was another five minutes down the road. I pulled into the municipal lot and parked. And I had no idea where my husband was taking the kids for lunch at this point because there was a lot of different little towns in the area that are, they're all adjacent to each other. Uh And I parked my car and decided I was going to go to the Photoshop first and was waiting at the cross light at this point. And the light turned and the little crosswalk, a little blinky thing started with the person I started to cross the street in the crosswalk, probably about three quarters of the way across. Oh, wow. Legitimately just heard the loudest noise ever. And next thing I knew, I was on the ground and just kind of confused and coming to because I had been unconscious for you know, I guess a couple of minutes or four minutes. I don't really know how long. And there was this man sitting in front of me, but he was also holding my head. And he told me that um, a car had hit me, which I didn't realize yet. And oh my goodness, this woman um, had hung because it was a, a one-way street that was parallel to the crosswalk. And she had made a very quick left turn. And in her haste of turning, she knocked me out of the crosswalk. And I landed on my head and my shoulder. And that is when I was coming to and the man was there. And fortunately, he was a doctor and somehow um, paramedic was around the corner, too, and came and had one of those bags. And so he was um, holding a compression to my head, I guess. And this is all before the police or (laughs) the paramedics had arrived. Unfortunately, my husband and my kids had decided to go to lunch in the same town. And somehow one of the passerbys who was in the area and witnessed the aftermath of the accident, he was with his son who was on my son's lacrosse team and called my husband. And so my husband is driving but he can't get down the road now because this is the main road and now it's blocked off. Uh-huh. So he has to pull on this one-way street and, you know, the right turn in the same direction the woman could have gone if she didn't turn. And he parks and he said he got out of the car. His phone is ringing, but at the same time, he sees a purse on the road and he's thinking to oh himself how that looks like my bag, but he hadn't, he didn't see me yet. And he, he hears this man saying, I've been in an accident. And then he, he sees me, but I'm still on the road. And my kids are there, and they see me laying Aww. in the road. So it was just all very, you know, it's confusing for everybody and obviously really traumatizing for my 13-year-old boys. No kidding. It, it really was quite, I think, devastating for them to 
to witness that before the paramedics arrived. So for me, I mean, I was kind of out of it and uh, not really knowing much about what was going on yet. So from that, you did suffer for uh, quite a while, correct? You had to do, obviously go through therapy and the PTSD that uh, you had mentioned in the beginning, was that as a result of this and the same thing, the traumatic brain injury, I'm assuming that's all tied together with the same uh, incident, is that correct? Uh, yes, um, because I had landed on my head um, and even though I wasn't driving in a car, I did suffer um, PTSD from that um, accident for a long time, severe PTSD. And, um, yeah, I couldn't, like, loud noises would startle me. Oh, yes, of course. Um, yeah, so, and even trying to cross the road at crosswalks, things like that became difficult. Um, but it also because of where the traumatic brain injury occurred and the concussion, like it's a concussion. So I had a double concussion. So because of where those occurred, I suffered visual issues. I had a processing disorder, which I still have. I can't multitask. I had vestibular issues, which is balance issues, like when you're walking uh -huh. and um, just a lot of, you know, issues which they attend to during occupational therapy and PT. And I also had a shoulder surgery um, from landing on my shoulder as well. So, you know, as you can imagine, I do feel very fortunate uh -huh. <laughs> uh, because she wasn't driving an SUV. She Good had a, point. Sm a small car. <laughs> so there, you know, obviously I'm very grateful to be here today um, but it, there were a lot of challenges um, to get through uh, recovery as well. And you do need your friends and family to to help you along the way. I'm guessing you went through many different emotions, including anger. You know, that's a tough one. I, I wasn't angry at first. Um, I don't think I felt a lot of anger the thing that I I would get upset about were the doctors um, huh. because the insurance company, I had to file a lawsuit. Um, the insurance company makes you go to all of these doctors uh -huh. for the lawsuit and they, they really treat you poorly. They, they really do because their job is not to really help you, their job is to prove a case for the insurance company. Of course. And so that I would get very upset during those um, occasions. And so I think that would fuel um, the bad emotions because these are doctors and you feel like uh -huh. you're supposed to help me, not <laughs> tell me there's nothing wrong with me. So I think that was, I had a lot of trouble with that. And um, I think the one thing that did upset me, I, I chose not to go to court when the woman had to go for her court date because it was only maybe two months later and I oh. just did not want to go deal with that. I just wasn't ready. It did highly disappoint me that she only got a fine and oh my points on her license. And I felt like 
how can that be like a drunk driver and gets their license suspended? And she was cited with reckless driving and hitting a pedestrian. How is there not more of a penalty for no that? No kidding. Wow. Yeah. I didn't understand that rationalization at all. And maybe had I gone to court, it would have been different. And these were things you had to deal with and you had to work through. It also was not the only time that you have had some trauma in your life that you've had to deal with. There was a couple times that you shared that I'd like you to share with the audience. And one was when you were pregnant with your twins and also what happened when they were in first grade. Could you share those two instances with us, please? Um, yes. So um, when I was pregnant with the boys, I actually went into preterm labor when I was 23 weeks along in my pregnancy. I did not know what was wrong. My back was really killing me in the middle of the night. And not having had a pregnancy before, I had zero clue what was happening. But I called the doctor and uh, he said, yeah, this doesn't sound right. You need to go to the pet unit and be checked out. And I think he knew that I was in back labor. But so I went to the, the pet unit and they checked me out and I was uh, in labor and dilating. And they said, um, yeah, we really have to get you on some medication and try to stop this labor because if they're born before even 24 weeks, it's not really a high survival rate. And we have like a level four NICU here, which is the highest you can have at a hospital. And um, it was extremely traumatic at the time. And of course, you're now almost seven months along in your pregnancy. And it's extremely upsetting. And my husband and I were both upset and crying. And I would do anything, you know, at that point um, for my kids and anybody would. And luckily, they were able to stop the labor but they sent me home on bed rest and they also sent me home with like a pump that is similar. It's actually just like somebody would be on for diabetes and um, it just had a different medication in it and it was to control the contractions to keep me from having contractions and I just had to change the site like a diabetic would and um Basically, my job was to stay in bed and not walk around. I mean, of course, I could go to the bathroom. But beyond that, really, I could take a shower here and there. But I had to just stay in bed. And I, um, I did go back to the doctor for a checkup at 28 weeks. And I didn't even know it, but I was in labor again. Because oh when the doctor word. was checking me out in the office, he said to me, you need to go to the hospital. And I was very surpri surprised and shocked. And he said, you're three centimeters dilated, you know, and everything else. And he said, you're in labor, go directly to the hospital. And I just remember walking out crying through the waiting room. That was probably frightening every other pregnant woman there. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I just... Um, went to the hospital and they actually had to put me on this IV with really, really strong medication for like 48, it was like two days, 48 hours. And they weren't sure if they were going to be able to stop my, my labor, but at least I was at um, 28 weeks, which is a huge milestone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And um, they were able to stop it. They kept me in the hospital for about nine days waiting because they really weren't sure if I was going to give birth or not. Finally, they sent me home again um, on the same medication that I was on before. But my gynecologist said to me, or my OBGYN, she said, I really don't know how long you're going to make it. You might make it one week. You might make it two. But I don't think you're going to make it that long. And I just remember going home with that in my head. Like, please just let me make it to 30 weeks. Uh And um, it was unbelievable. But I made it to 35 and a half weeks. No way. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my word. And then I went back and I was going back for checkups to this high risk team and um, which they send you to when you're with twins anyway. And they they did a checkup and they said, you know, one of the babies isn't growing that fast as we would like him to. So we're just going to induce you right now. And I remember just saying, what? <laughs> like, I've kept them in. You can't take them out now. <laughs> but um, they said, no, they're better off out now than in. And, and you've made it to 35 and a half weeks, so it's all good. So they, they were super healthy. Um, they just were little. And they had to stay in the NICU for a little while to gain weight. But other than that, they were healthy. They didn't have to be on oxygen or feeding tubes or anything. And I was just blessed. And it was amazing. That is an amazing story. My goodness. And then you had another situation when they were in first grade. Um, Yes. So um, unfortunately, um, a really exciting trip turned out to be really scary we had taken the kids to Disney World. So everybody wants to go to Disney. (laughs) I grew up in Florida going to Disney and um, kids were very excited. We went to Disney World and after that we took them to Atlanta to see my mom. It was her 60th birthday and I remember just waking up the next day and I was super, super sick. It was really the middle of the night, like 5 a.m. I just felt like an elephant was sitting on me. Couldn't breathe. Just I knew I was really sick and called my internist. And she said, I can hear you. You sound terrible. I can hear you wheezing on the phone talking to me. I need you to go to the emergency room. And I said, okay. So... (laughs) Nobody wants to do that, especially when you're out of town, right? So I'm thinking, all right, I guess I've got to go to the nearest one. And I went to um, Piedmont Hospital there. And next thing I know, they're telling me I have pneumonia, which is, you know, not great. But the worst part of it was they they hold up this x-ray and they say, okay, you have a hole in your lung and um, we're going to treat you for the pneumonia you've got to take these x-ray films back home with you and see your doctor. So I went through a variety of tests and everything else, and they really just couldn't tell me what I had or even if I had cancer or anything. And it was extremely um, scary. And as you can imagine, I'm being tested for cystic fibrosis and all these other things. And I have two kids in first grade, and I'm thinking – what's wrong with me? Am I going to live past this? Because I know lung cancer was, you know, basically I was thinking in my head, that's a death sentence. And um, 
next thing after I see about three of the top doctors in New York City, I went to every top hospital, they all told me the same thing, that I had to remove part of my right lung. Nobody wants to hear that. No. <laughs> so um, so I, I, I did what I had to do, which was the thoracic surgery. And it ended up being an open thoracic surgery, which they could not do it laparoscopically. I did that, and, and I will say it was extremely scary, especially because all I could think about was that I had two kids, and I needed to, to make it through for my kids. And I think, honestly, that was a driving point for me. Also, after the accident, it just all always was about my kids, you know? And... Um, so luckily, I healed fine from the surgery, and um, everything seemed great, and I went in for my post-op checkup a month later to NYU, and um, I did a CAT scan, and, and I'm sure this can happen to anybody, but um, I think it was because maybe it was lunchtime, I don't know, the radiologist probably wasn't there, I had a CAT scan, and they just said, okay, you have your CAT scan, you can go home. And I'm driving home from New York to where I lived in New Jersey, and I'm probably 15 minutes from my house, and I'm crossing this bridge that's close by my house on the highway, and the phone rings, and it's the radiologist. Huh. And I'm thinking, this is strange. So I can tell she's hemming and hawing, and, and I really had been like having what I thought were asthma symptoms for some time, maybe a week or two. I told my pulmonary doctor about it. And all of a sudden she's asking me, where am I? And I said, I'm almost home. And she said, can you come back to New York, to NYU? And I said, well, that's going to take me over an hour with traffic. And she's just like, like waiting. And I can tell, <sighs> I don't understand why she's not talking. <sighs> and suddenly she just says to me, well, I really need you to go to the closest ER because your right lung is completely collapsed. And it's like, I think it just took me like a minute even to process what she was saying because I'm driving myself on the highway. And um, I honestly don't even know what happened in those minutes or how I did what I did. But I think you just, your adrenaline kicks in and I just, I was able to call my pulmonary doctor, my husband, my girlfriend to pick up my kids at school and somehow just did all that. And I, I asked my pulmonary doctor, which is the best hospital to go to out there. And he had fortunately trained some doctors at one of the hospitals and I, I just drove to the hospital. I mean, I will say they were waiting for me <laughs> to walk through the tour, but, but yeah, um, what an amazing story. I mean, well, you are an amazing story. You are a um, poster girl for trauma and surviving trauma. And I really appreciate you sharing everything that you did because that's what this show is about. There are people listening in the audience who have been through possibly similar things or, you know, equally challenging as you have. And these stories encourage them. These stories give them something that they can um, not only relate to, but 
beaten and be encouraged, but also to know that there is somebody else out there that went through something horrific and look what they're doing. And that is the bottom line of your story, which is look at me now. And we are going to talk about what you have accomplished and what you are offering the audience and also your book. And your book is, well, I'm not going to give away too much. We're going to come back in about 30 seconds and we're going to have you share to our audience of what you are offering them today. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. With me today on Never Ever Give Up Hope is Jennifer Weissman. And she has been sharing her story of trauma and what not only did she go through, but also how she survived. We're going to share more with Jennifer regarding what she is offering today in uh, her memoir and book that is going to be an encouragement to every listener. But also, Jennifer, would you tell us what message, what you have learned what you would like to share with the audience regarding what you went through. I, I think that um, when anybody survives any kind of life-changing traumatic event, it's so important to, to get help. Um, and also, I think just um, to be aware that other people around you, they may seem okay, um, but you don't know what somebody has gone through in their life. And so I think we all need to be a little kinder to others um, because anything can cause PTSD, whether it's, it doesn't have to be a car accident. And it's not just veterans. It, it can be a mass shooting like the ones, unfortunately, that have happened over this holiday weekend. Um, people are getting PTSD from this pandemic. And I think it's just so important to, to help others and to be kind and to make sure that people are getting the support that they need. Because sometimes all we can do is to carry on with our lives and um, do the best that we can. Life is so fragile and right. can be taken from us in an instant. And what matters is is what you decide to do after experiencing a life-changing incident to, to help others. That's what I try to do. Excellent, and thank you. Thank you for that. Now tell us about your book, the name, who, who should buy it, and what it's about. So the book um, is called Sink or Swimwear, and it's about... <laughs> 
my um, crazy life uh, surviving PTSD and um, life after, you know, surviving cutthroat industry, which is the fashion industry, of course. No kidding. <laughs> so it's not all just about the accident and it's not all dark. It also has some really funny insider stories about fashion and photo shoots and the runway shows. Also talks about running a fashion business and how did I get into it? And so there's stuff about being an entrepreneur. How did I go about getting my patents? What you should do if you want to get a trademark? So, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in there if you're interested in, in owning your own business or you just want to read about the fashion industry. I mean, there's a little something in there for everybody. Wow, no kidding. That does cover it all. Give us a couple of the instances, like you said, uh, that might be funny or intriguing to our audience. So there's a great story in there about a photo shoot that we went on in the Bahamas. And uh, we're, we're done for the day shooting um, these bikinis. And all of a sudden, the photographer is taking, legitimately, this, this model has taken off all of her, well, she only had a bikini on, so now she's, she's buck naked. And she's running around the beach, and it's, it's starting to be sunset. So, of course, it's a pretty backdrop. But, and there's nobody else around. It's just the photographer, the model, me, and the stylist. However, that being said, we're done for the day. And it's hot. And we'd been out there for hours. And they're running around shooting this private shoot now. And the stylist and I are just sitting there watching this all go down. And, and we're looking at each other as if, what's, what, no kidding. what are they doing? Why is she running around naked? And why aren't we going back to get showered and have dinner? And like, it, it was a little bit crazy. And she just kept looking at me, saying to me, this reminds me of the Blue Lagoon. Remember that movie oh. with Chuck <laughs> Shields? Uh, <laughs> It, it goes into more detail in the book, but it really was quite crazy, that entire trip. One of the things, well, a couple of things that you said that I'd like to read, because I think that this applies to anybody who is interested in your book, of course, and what they will gain from it. And so I'm just, most of these you have already touched, but I just want to capsulize them. And what you said was what you will discover in this book is how unexpected situations can spark million dollar ideas that you've already covered, shocking complications in the pursuit of business goals, trademark lawsuits, wire fraud, and cybercrime, and production pitfalls, an insider tell-all of photo shoots, fashion shows, and industry parties, coping strategies to help you balance work, family, and stress with a TBI, a PTSD, or other persistent physical problems. How many other people wouldn't relate to that? That is incredible. And finally, the relationships that better you and your business and those that don't. Is there anything you would like to add to that or expound on? I just think as um, a small business owner, you are going to find that sometimes there's going to be people that you're working with that start to have a negative impact 
on your business or yourself. And it's difficult, but you have to learn to let go of those relationships if you want to continue to prosper, because sometimes it doesn't matter how you come by to hire those people. And it, and it could be through a friend or mm-hmm. otherwise, but you, you have to cut your losses sometimes because a lot of times certain um, employees will start to bring negativity into the workplace or they will do things that will just drag your business in the wrong direction. And it's hard to let people go. I hate it. I mean, it really mm. is the worst feeling to do that. But there are times, unfortunately, as a business owner that you have to do that. But then there's other times that you have to recognize you have the best people in your life and in your business, and you have to reward those people. And Good point. Yes. they're amazing. And without those people, your business cannot flourish. I mean, I was fortunate to have people like that, or my business wouldn't have been where it was. Like, I mean, you know, where it is, you know, wouldn't have gone on a trajectory the way that it did. And so um, I was fortunate to have people that helped me with my business to get to where it was so quickly. That was an excellent summary. And is there anything else in summary or as a word of encouragement in addition that you would like to to share with our audience before we leave? I love there's a saying that um, I don't have it in front of me, but there's a saying that if you can just improve 1% every day, and I don't even think it has to be that much, but if you can just improve a little bit every day, and if you just strive to do that, none of us can be perfect, but if you just try to improve and that's all you do, all we can try to do is be better versions of ourselves, right? Nobody's perfect with progress, right? Not perfection. That is excellent. I really appreciate that. As And that's a perfect summary of what you have done in your life and what you are proposing that we do as well in ours. And so I thank you for that. And thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you for having me, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.